0: The scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ, as mentioned earlier, brings freedom. But the kind of freedom it brings, it doesn't bring a freedom that gives you a license to do whatever you want. It brings a freedom to become who God wants you to be. And the the benefit of um, walking through the books of the Bible is that you're often confronted with topics that you may want to avoid. And as we reach Proverbs chapter 5, this is a topic that perhaps some would like to maybe just kind of skip over and not really deal with. But the beauty of walking through books of the Bible is it kind of forces your hand to deal with God's Word and what God says to us. And so we're confronted with a decision in chapter 5 of Proverbs. And the decision is, will we stand firm in the freedom that Christ gives us and seek God's way? Or will we submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery the life that we live to death, death being the uh, unraveling of of the way things ought to be, or will we stand firm in the freedom that Christ gives us? Will we pursue life or will we pursue death? Will we follow God's way? And so the topic addressed here in Proverbs chapter 5 is one that deals with sexual temptation. And I think it's extremely important That we tune our ears to what God has to say about this topic. And I want to point out four truths, four truths from this chapter that will help us to be proactive in purity. The first is that sexual temptation is inevitable, it's coming, it's going to happen to everyone. Look look at verses one through six. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the way of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Now remember the context here is a father is teaching his son, Because he wants his son to live a godly life full of wisdom. Godly wisdom. And this could just as easily be applied to a daughter. If he was writing this letter to his daughter, he would say, "You know, Beware of of men with smooth talk. But he's talking to his son, and so he says, Beware of the lips of a forbidden woman that drip honey. And he goes on to say, Sexual temptation is inevitable. You need to know it is out there, and you're going to come across it. And you and I are going to be tempted to follow some other path of fulfillment rather than God's path. And I want you to notice how this temptation is usually packaged. For the lips, in verse 3, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. You know, the temptation to commit sexual sin comes packaged in very attractive wrapping paper. honey her lips drip honey what she is saying seems so sweet so inviting so so appetizing and some of you are avid fishermen or hunters and you know the way you catch fish is that you use bait or uh, a fishing lure and what does a fishing lure do it Lures fish. At least it should. And the way it does that is it, it it disguises itself as something the fish would want. And then when the fish comes close enough and grabs hold of it, there's a hidden hook that catches it by the mouth, catches it by the mouth, and won't let it go. Or maybe you're a hunter, and you know the way you hunt is that you have to entice your prey in close enough so you can pounce. And this may be with a turkey call, or maybe some type of decoy, like a duck decoy, and you try to bring them in close so you can grab them and trap them. It's a lure; it's a, you're baiting them. And so the father is telling his son that what may initially be sweet and seem appetizing will, in the end, taste like bitter wormwood. So it may initially seem sweet and right and good, but in the end will be wormwood. In the end it will be like a two-edged sword that brings about death. Death being, well, literally in Israel in the Old Testament, the consequence for adultery was stoning. And so it could literally be death, but also death is it's an unraveling of the way things ought to be. And so when we sin and we go against God, we are unraveling life the way it's meant to be experienced. And the path that leads to sexual sin is the path of death. Look at verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she doesn't know it. And the reason it's a path of death is because it's a path that is absent of God's blessing. You know, Jesus says in John 14, He says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if Jesus is the life, and we live our lives contrary to Jesus, then what is that? Well, that's death. That is, that is, instead of pursuing the way things ought to be, we are actively unraveling things the way they ought to be. We're, we're breaking them apart. Death is, being, death is the breakdown of the way things ought to be. And so the father tells his son to beware of the adulteress, beware of the woman that would lure him away from his wife. And the warning can be applied also to you ladies. Beware of the man that would lure you away from your husband. And the thing with adultery and other sexual sins is that it doesn't necessarily start with the physical act, does it? It starts with the heart. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sexual sin begins in the heart. And one of, my, one of my favorite pastors and teachers is a pastor named Tommy Nelson. He's the pastor of Dent Bible Church in Texas. And he lists the six E's of adultery. Six things that start with the letter E. Six words that start with the letter E. That leads to adultery. And the reason he uses the E's, the letter E, is because he says, we commit adultery with ease. It's very easy to do. And so he says, the first E is eliminate. We eliminate intimacy in our marriage. For one reason or another, we stop pursuing our spouse. We, we stop having meaningful conversation. Uh, we stop spending time with them. Um we stop doing those things that actually build our relationship for one reason or another. We begin to kind of just go through the motions, kind of coexist. And then it leads to the second E, which is encounter. We encounter someone who is friendly toward us. We encounter someone of the opposite sex that maybe gives you a compliment or Laughs at your jokes or enjoys spending time with you, shows you attention. In other words, someone steps in and seems to be offering you something that is missing in your marriage or in your life. And this leads to the third E, which is enjoyment. You begin to enjoy this new relationship, you begin to enjoy this conversation, you enjoy spending time with this other person. You enjoy talking with this other person. And then that leads to the fourth E, which is expedite. You expedite opportunities to be with this person. In other words, you arrange your schedule so that you will be where this person is. You'll stop by our desk at work. Or you'll find yourself having lunch at the same place he's having lunch. Or you try to get online at the same time that this other person's online, so you can have a conversation. You expedite opportunities. In other words, you will do for this person once you you will do for this person what you once did for your spouse. You will expedite opportunities to be with them. And then fifth, the fifth e is expression. You express your interest. In this person. Now you don't come out and say. Let's commit adultery. Right? You don't say that. Because you're more shrewd than that. You say something like this. You know I. um, I just really spending. I really enjoy spending time with you. And you're waiting. You're listening for the response. What was she saying? What will he say? You know, I wish I could talk to my wife the way I talk to you. And you're waiting to hear those words. Me too. I wish I could talk to my husband the way I I talk to you. And so you have expressed interests. And as as one person once said, You have built the bridge to Fantasy Island and now you're about to cross it. And this is the sixth E, which is experience. And this is the culmination of adultery. The physical act. But what we fail to realize is that the sin wasn't simply committed at the sixth E, but rather at the first. Now, obviously, as you progress down the line the consequences are more severe. But what we have to realize is that we were in the midst of adultery even at the first E once we began to take our focus off our spouse and began to look for another and entertain that idea. Like Jesus said, it begins in the heart. And so the first truth we see here is that sexual sexual temptation is inevitable Which leads us to the second truth of the passage, which is, well, how do we resist it? How do we resist the adulteress? What should you do if you are tempted by sexual sin? Look at verses 7 and 8. The father tells his son, "Now And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Keep away, do not go near. We need to keep away from whatever or whoever is tempting us to sin. You remember the story of Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house and he was serving Potiphar in Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife came on to to Joseph and tried to uh, commit adultery with Joseph. And what did Joseph do? It says he ran out of the house. Which is the right thing to do. You've got to get out. You've got to leave. you got to flee. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. Because no one is strong enough to deal with the temptation. You have to remove yourself. Flee sexual immorality. Stay away from whatever or whoever is trying to tempt you. And I'll say more about this later. But the way we resist the adulteress is to flee, to stay away, avoid it, avoid the person, avoid the situation. And I'll say more about it in just a moment. The third truth is that sexual sin has consequences. And some of you know this very well. Maybe perhaps because you have been involved in that sin, but most likely, many of you have been the recipients of the pain of sin. Like this. But it does have consequences. Look at verses 9-14. through Father says, Least you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hate a discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And the point is, sexual sin takes its toll. Adultery brings consequences. Emotional, spiritual, financial, relational consequences. And I was reading an article uh, written by a woman whose husband committed adultery and divorced her. And this is what she said in the article. She said, Adultery is not a matter between two people. It's not a matter between two people since so many are hurt by it. It is as hurtful as murder. And the devastating effects never go away entirely. The offenders offenders had the privilege of making the choice to engage in adultery, but families have no choice about the suffering Inflicted upon them, and the point is, there there are consequences to our choices. There's consequences when we commit sexual sin. And over in Proverbs chapter six, we see this warning again against sexual sin. And in verse verse twenty seven, this is what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, talking about sexual sin, can a mar- can a can a, can a, I mean, can a man can a man carry fire next to his chest? and his clothes not be burned? Can you do it? Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? In other words, when you bring fire close to your chest, there will be consequences to it, right? And so the question is, are you are you playing with fire? Are you... Is there someone in your life that is enticing you to leave your spouse? Now, it may not be a specific person. It could even be an electronic one. It could be images. It could be chatting with someone online. But God is very clear in His Word that He wants us to flee sexual sin. He wants us to stay away from whatever it is that would lead us down that path. And you know yourself now. You know yourself. And perhaps even the Holy Spirit right now is showing you your weakness. That that area of your life where where you may be being enticed to go down this road. God wants us to resist sexual sin and run the other way. Now there's one final um, truth I want to show you and I'm so grateful for this truth. Because the Lord is gracious in that He has provided a way for us to pursue uh, sexual fulfillment apart from adultery and sexual sin. And the best way to counteract sexual sin is to follow God's design. Look at verses 15 through 19. And you don't need a seminary degree or to be a Hebrew scholar to understand what He's talking about here, okay? So I won't go in great detail and explanation because I think you'll get the gist. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, take your eyes and hands off other women and direct them to your spouse, right? And rejoice, enjoy the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So yes, we need to flee and resist and keep away from those things that may take us down that path. But then we also need to zero in on the spouse that God has given us and pursue that relationship. And seek to enjoy that relationship. Nurture that relationship. Do what you need to do in order to protect that relationship. And for those of you who are not married, the Bible's clear that you should wait until you are married to fulfill your sexual desire. This is God's design. God has given physical intimacy as a gift to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in the context of marriage. But this gift is like fire. Now how many of you, of course, none of you hopefully are doing this right now because it's 100 degrees outside, but how many of you set fires in your living room? Well, let me say it another way. How many of you have fireplaces in your living room? Some of us do. And so we have no problem with setting a fire in our living room, even though it may sound strange, but you say, well, Ron, as long as it stays in the fireplace, it's wonderful. Fire is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift. And this is how sex is. Sex is a wonderful gift, but just like fire, it needs to remain in the place that God's designed it to be in. Because fire, as we know, as long as it stays in the fireplace, it's a wonderful, beautiful gift. But once it gets out of the fireplace, it burns the whole house down. And so sex is a wonderful gift, but it's meant to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now if we if we give in to sexual sin, the consequences can be even more devastating than burning a house down. You know, verses twenty through twenty three, he says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and all he ponder and, and he ponders all his paths, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he has led astray. See, sexual sin, just like all sin, in the, is like all sin in the sense that it's seeking life apart from God. It's seeking satisfaction and life apart from the ways of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It is an unraveling, it is an undoing of life. we've also learned that adultery can be traced back to our hearts. So the question is, what do we do about that? And you may say, well, well I've never committed adultery. I've never participated in the physical act of adultery. And I hope you haven't. Uh, but then if we trace, trace our hearts back, though, to the fifth year, or the fourth, the third, second, or the first, you know, our hearts, we find... Are not perhaps as pure as we would like them to be. And so what do we do about it? Well, in the Gospel of John chapter 8, we read a story about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought to Jesus. And beginning in John 8, 3, we read, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to Him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, of Moses he commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So what do we do? Well, first, we need to realize that Jesus came to grant forgiveness and give life. And no matter what you've done, Jesus' death is sufficient to cover your sin. No matter what you've done or what you've thought. Jesus' death is sufficient enough to pay for your sin. Now listen, now the people that you have wronged may not forgive you. And there may be consequences to your actions. But the Bible is very clear that if you come to Jesus with your sin, He can forgive you. No matter what your sin is. His death is is sufficient to pay for all sin. Second thing we need to do is that if you've already confessed your sin to God, and through faith in Jesus Christ you've received forgiveness and new life, then you need to be like this woman when Jesus says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You've been given freedom, right? You've been given freedom, not to do whatever you want, but freedom to be who God wants you to be. Freedom and power to live out The life that God has for you. And so go and sin no more. In other words, we need to resist temptation. This means staying away from whatever or whoever is tempting you. Now, this is, listen to me, this means taking some action. And this may mean getting rid of cable, this may mean getting rid of the internet. This may mean mean shutting down communication with someone, blocking them. This may mean changing your phone number. This may mean changing jobs. And this may mean even moving. In other words, you do whatever you need to do to get away from the situation. Separate yourself from the situation. Keep away. And at the same time, what we need to do is we need to begin to pursue our spouses. And you're going to need God's help. You're going to need God's help and you're going to need the help of some Christian friends to help you move forward in this. And so what you need to do is you need to find at least one Christian friend, not of the opposite sex, one Christian friend that you can share your struggle with or that you can ask for help, prayer, accountability, encouragement because you need someone to pray for you, to hold you accountable, to point you in the right direction as you seek to be who God wants you to be. And Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, Christ has granted us freedom to be who God wants us to be. And so now let us by faith follow God's ways. Let us pray. Father, we come to You and we acknowledge that we oftentimes are are tempted to go down paths that are against Your will. And over and over and over again in history and in your Scripture, we know that these paths lead to death. They lead to an unraveling of life. The unraveling of shalom, of peace, of flourishing. And you tell us, the wages of sin is death. This is what this path leads to. But, but at the same time, Lord, at, at, the, at the front end of it, it seems to be like honey. It's sweet as honey. But you tell us, don't look at the point, look at the path. Consider all your ways. Lord, even this morning, as we're confronted with the freedom that Christ has given us to be who you want us to be, Lord, help us to just evaluate our hearts, evaluate our relationships this morning in light of your word knowing that You have our best interests in mind, that Your ways are good, and Your will is perfect. Lord, give us a desire to do Your will and follow You. And I pray if there's anyone struggling with past sin, God, would they uh, be able to bring that to You and confess their sin to You and receive Your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You tell us, when we come to Christ, the old is gone and new has come. The death of Your Son is sufficient to cover all our sin. And we all need that forgiveness. And as we stand in the place of forgiveness, Lord, give us the power through Your Holy Spirit to pursue Your ways and to walk out this freedom that You've given us.